0: Corrupted nerds ensconced in the twilight of their bedroom, whether it be in Paris, Singapore, Lagos, Bucharest, or indeed even Sydney. And from near Sydney, welcome to Corrupted Nerds Conversations, episode 10. Today, privacy engineering, with a privacy expert who starts her sessions with students rather bluntly.
1: And I say, okay everyone, who pooped today?
0: Privacy engineering is a methodology for making sure data privacy gets designed into internet applications from the very beginning. That's great for us consumers, but what about the future of an internet economy that depends on the trade of personal data?
1: hmm ha mwa-ha-ha-ha-ha. It means good things. It means good things. It means, um, we would like to look back on this time and, and think that we're being the John Updike of data right you're putting rat tails and you're calling it sausage today
0: i will explain that shortly this is corrupted nerds a podcast about information power security and all the cybers in a global internet revolution that's changing everything Hi, I'm still Gary and uh, back after a gap of some six months, I know. So sorry about that. Uh, but that does mean before the conversation, some housekeeping. If you contributed to my first possible campaign, I may well owe you an ebook. Well, that'll be coming in the next two or three weeks and I'll email you about that very soon. If you'd like to contribute to further episodes, uh, and I mean with money, I'll soon be launching ongoing subscriptions just like community radio in America you call that public radio, you can contribute to this little project. That will all be up and running before the end of May. But if you'd like to contribute something right now I do have a tips page up and running for one-off payments it's at com slash tip. Feel free to help cover my time and some minor costs in making this little podcast. But to privacy engineering. Earlier this month, during Australia's Privacy Awareness Week, I had the very great pleasure to meet Michelle Dennedy, who's uh, Chief Privacy Officer at McAfee, the information security firm. Now, she told me, a remarkable story from startup land that really shouldn't have been remarkable at all. And that contradiction, I thought, pointed to a serious shortfall of ethics right across the startup industry. Yes, I know another one. Now I wrote about that for ZDNet Australia a few days ago, but the whole conversation with Michelle Dennedy was so much fun, I figured you should hear the whole thing. So here it is. This interview was recorded on the sixth of may twenty fourteen in Sydney, Australia. Michelle Dennedy, I'm going to start by really asking how people's attitudes to privacy are changing because we've already seen in the, coming up to the first year since Edward Snowden's revelations, Mm -hmm. we're starting to see surveys that say people are becoming more concerned about their privacy. And they're starting to think about what all the apps do. Uh, You know, legislation is starting to come into force around the world. Surely we must be at the very beginning of a change in attitude.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually really excited about it because I've been in the privacy business for many, many more more years than I should admit. Um, and so for me, it's been an inevitable truth, right? And I think, and I do a ton of work with children, and we do it in Australia as well as as in the states and in the in the UK um, in an online safety for kids program. And and it's great to um, at school to hear from the kids because I think the myth of of old was that people of the younger generations don't care about privacy. The middle people are just kind of busy and agnostic and maybe the older people care, but they're just so scared to get on email they can't do anything anymore.
0: Anyway. Mm, it was either that or the only people who care about privacy are... <laughs> lunatics and criminals, to right. put not too far to point well, on Well, I'm it.
1: not a criminal, but the other one I can't really attest to. But <laughs> I do care <laughs> about privacy quite a good bit. And, and what I found is, particularly talking um, with, with both kind of sides of those curves, right, is that kids in particular really care about data privacy. They may not call it that, and they're certainly willing to share all sorts of stuff that we adults are not really excited about them sharing, but they don't have mortgages. And they don't um, own property. So saying mom and dad aren't home, I'm having a party, doesn't feel like a safety issue to them. It seems social. But they will never tell you who their crush is. They will never tell you that anyone... So the way I, I always kick off any of my, my high school trainings because, you know, they're all too, way too cool for some old lady with a minivan, right? And I always come in, and it disturbs every principal that's ever been there. And I say, okay, everyone, who pooped today? And they look at me like, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's one heck of an opening question. Who
1: pooped today? It's my number one opening question. And I tell you what it does every single time is I get this physical pushback in their chairs. And then they look down and they go, oh, my God, she knows it's me. Well, and I say, <laughs> you know what? I'm a mother. So not only do I know that every one of you all pooped today, or if not, you should really consider more water and maybe an apple. It's a, it's a unique human condition, but your reaction, ladies and gentlemen, is my reaction when I see you walking around in some stupid toga party with your bikini top on or standing with a Dixie cup when you're clearly your underage, that reaction that you had when I asked you a secret that you thought was so secret that no one else knew about it is the feeling that I get for you. Understanding what consequences are and that's how we kick off our discussions and it sounds kind of racy and weird But they start to get it really quickly that even though we may have all had the same Path, you know, I was a young 20 something once upon a time. I made weird decisions and and had party pictures now They weren't online, but now I'm in a different stage of life And so that's how I, I, I think about it with with the younger people when I talk to them about what are the tactics that you have in front of your grandma to hide information and tell a story you want to tell about yourself? What are the tactics that you use at school? What are the tactics you want to use when you're trying to get your driver's license and you're sitting in the car with someone testing you? Those tactics that they say are universal tactics. If everyone at work protected their data as well as a 15-year-old girl protected her crush, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
0: There's so much to to dig into there, but the thing that I realised is something that was said at an event I was at earlier today, that teenagers in particular, and and kids a bit younger than teenagers, have a really good motive for learning about privacy controls because Mm -hmm. they want to keep stuff from their parents. Now, that's about creating your sense of identity. Everyone needs that private space in which to experiment, I suppose, with their identity as they're growing up. That's right. How much of that is affected, do you think, by the fact that we all grew up, even though there may be a, you know, a generation or two difference, it's still much the same. We learnt yes. the rules in the playground and we learnt many rules the hard way. Yep. And stuff was even passed down from year to year in the schoolyard. That's right. That surely can't happen as much now because that first generation is now just starting university. They're, the, they're only the first ones to have grown up in this environment. There are no generational life lessons to hand down yet
1: well it's funny because i think uh, generational life lessons are accelerating like everything else because the other thing that that they had that we didn't was the ability to find affiliation groups before you got to college you know it was a revelation to me that there were so many nerds on the planet i thought i was the only one i well, turned up at university and there was a whole gang of them
0: well that online communication is down to according to some analysts uh, a reduction in young male suicide because Young guys who are realizing they're gay suddenly realize they're not the only one in the world, especially if they're in a a small or remote community.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because it cuts both ways, right? So we we had a, a really terrible case um, in the U.S. Oh, probably two years ago now of a young man in Minnesota, and and he was and it was nothing. He was he danced in a funny way in a really goofy goofy way, and he was uh, YouTubed. And he was shared over a million times. And in his suicide note, he said, I always thought I could outgrow high school, but I've got a million people heckling me now. How am I going to outlive this? And that was his last thought as he took his own life. So there's a lot of consequences. And I I realize we've gone to a very dark place very fast, Mm. but all of this says that There are some cultural norming that needs to just happen over time. There are certain rules and restrictions and sharing infrastructures that we can build as infrastructure purveyors. Um, Even in the apps world, um, I've recently uh, written a new book called Privacy Engineer's Manifesto. And in Chapter 8, it's the shortest chapter in the book, and it's been the most popular one. Uh, We were working on this methodology, and what I hear all the time. My husband's a VC, and so I hear from very, very, very garage level businesses, this is too hard. I don't even have a lawyer. How am I gonna do privacy and security? And and I just have an app. So what we thought was, I've got a a nephew who is 17 and interested in computers, but not a computer scientist yet. Going off to college, we're very proud. Um, And we said, you know, what would you like to do? What would you build um, if you built an app? And he said, I'm a long distance runner and I'd like to keep in contact with my teammates, and I'd like my, my coach to track me. And I said, okay, who, who don't want you to see this data? Well, the other team. So we, had, um, we went through our engineering specifications, we used UML diagram uh, methodologies, we used business um, association uh, documentation, we used metadata modeling, all of which sounds very mealy-mouthed even to me as a non-technical person, but it's 10 pages. And what we've done is architect out a system using who, what, why, when, where, and how for an app. And we didn't code it in two days, but it was two days and maybe a pizza as an investment. And we have something that has a data system of record. We understand the controls that need to be put into place and have some ideas of how you could control them and some different strategies about how to keep the bad guys out and the good guys in. That's a 17-year-old kid in a pizza.
0: There's two things that triggers in terms of thoughts. One, it is an indictment on the industry that you being able to tell that story is a fresh and original story. The idea of actually talking to young users about their privacy. Yeah. That, that should not be a story that you are it able to It shouldn't be
1: new. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: And the other one...
1: We want to make that really boring for everyone. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. And the other one is the, the term privacy engineer. I'm yeah. oh, it's a very Silicon Valley thing to want to use technology to solve social problems.
1: So it's... We're so I wish I still. I just gave away my last copy of, of the book, but you can download it for free at apress.com, or, or get a Kindle Learn up for free, 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 because we wanted to make sure we got the ideas out there. If you want the paper, you got to pay thirty bucks or something. Uh,
0: I could live without paper.
1: Yeah, you can live without paper. So um, the the theory behind, and this is why it's a manifesto and not just privacy engineering, because we started out, and I say we, I wrote it with my dad, so it's cross generational, and he uh, was a technical architect and a consultant for many, many years before he retired. Now he's not retiring. He's talking about the book. Um, And my business partner who came out of digital media and publishing when pulp to digits was a revolution. And he and I have been business partners for 15 years. The way we approached it uh, initially was how do we take ISO standards, fair processing principles, and and technically wire them into the infrastructure. And what we found was very quickly – we couldn't write a book wide enough, deep enough, fast enough, and smart enough that was going to cover that. So instead, what we realized we were writing was a cross-functional journey, as we the three represent. I know there's a window washer outside clunking mm. on the wall. Um, it's like, you know, the footsteps of God coming, I was thinking, yes, it right?
0: sort of started off as a, a kind of, oh, there's something you know, no, that there we will not worry about, like but now
1: spunking. it's the
0: sound of doom. Oh, <laughs> I
1: know. maybe he wants to be let in to go, I don't know. Um, so anyway, the, 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 uh, the theory behind the manifesto and the reason it's called a manifesto is we had a hard time understanding who is this book really for and what is it really? And what we decided was, it's very pertinent to Privacy Awareness Week. There are rules, there are public policies that haven't been written and codified yet, or are in the pipeline. There are a codified set of laws, there are conflicting laws from around the world. That's the policy realm. Then there's what I call the business plan for your business, which other people colloquially call a privacy policy. Privacy policy should reflect your business plan for data, right, and you have those documents, and oftentimes what you find is that is the realm of the lawyer or the risk manager if you're lucky, and maybe the odd finance guy will wander in the cave every now and again. Then you go and you talk to the people who are slinging code or buying services or software or techniques or going to the cloud and dreaming up technical stuff. And they say to you, kind of leave us in our cave over here and go write your little policies, they're so cute. And maybe at the end of it, maybe, You get to write some terms and conditions to get me out of my obligations, right? And then you have your organization over here of human resources and capital who are all dealing with the data, living with it, using it. And we said, what would it be like instead to take a privacy policy and convert it into specifications that are functional specifications that every engineer knows how to deal with? This is what they went to school for. So no matter how long it's been since you've been in school, if, if you started with BASIC and COBIT, or if you're starting now, you understand the basics of requirements and requirements setting. And so what we're saying is, how do we functionalize the Fair Information Principles, the standards under things like ISO, and other known standards? This is not new stuff. Known standards. And then you functionalize them and say, these are functional specifications. And they've got the same primacy as any functional spec. So if the spec says the, the thing must turn on and a green light must flash, it also says that if information is of this type and variety, it should stay in country. So these become quality standards. So when you have specifications that are known, techie people know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with reasonable, they don't know what to do with if-then in the policy, but they know what to do with specs then you educate either your waterfall developer or your agile scrum masters, and you say, when we have our meetings about bugs, defects, and and red flags, if we know how to identify when we capture personal information, that we've captured personal information or machine data that may be associated to say something about an individual or an individual device as as the world is going, then we start to notice whether that's a, a bug that either needs to be gotten rid of, worked around, or has got to be notified for later as a transparency mechanism. That's what I call privacy engineering. And you get to that point, and then the last um, third of the book is, how do you create a dual book accounting system or some other valuation model so that not only are we building in things because we're good people, but we're proving efficiencies and we're proving imperatives that are social as well as financially enticing. And then we're organizing around them. We understand audit people have the same set of requirements that started over here in my privacy policy business business plan. And when you get to the end of that, you can, which some of this takes a lot of time, and the laws are changing really quickly, but if you're starting with core common functional values, at least you know what you've got. And then if the, the rules change on you, as they often do, then at least you know what you've got so you understand if there's a different mitigating technique, or maybe a different location, or maybe even a different organization that you need to stand up within marketing to handle, say, analytics for IoT. So all of these things, this is what we mean, and this is why it's a manifesto, not a done deal, is we well, think that this is new.
0: At, well, yes, it is new. Um, a certain large database company starting with with a vowel um, that is starting to provide that sort of functionality within a database, um, but again, they they're presenting that as something very new and hey this is why you should consider us today mm-hmm,
1: um, i used to work at that place yeah. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> that they have some of these perspectives eh
0: <laughs> <laughs> well okay so you've got into their heads you've got into I, I can't bit. say
1: that they, there's some heads there that i won't take account for
0: <laughs> i think that's fair <laughs> What reaction are you getting elsewhere? You're presumably presenting these ideas all over the place. Yeah,
1: yeah. How so, does that vary? So this is quite new, right? So we mm. launched the book on Privacy Awareness Day. Everyone else has a day. Only Australia has a week. We're a
0: society. You have spiders the
1: size of trash cans here. Are you uh-huh. kidding me? It's crazy uh-huh. down here. So it, it, it's only... <laughs> fitting that you should have a whole week and and believe me I'm a privacy girl I'd rather have one day of non-privacy day Um, so we launched in January at the end of January and and um, it's exciting so we've been asked to present um, not just once at Carnegie Mellon we're working on a course Um, that's going to be hitting there's a program called privacy engineering it's a master's program at carnegie mellon university we want to see that replicated more and more places Um, oasis has asked us to uh, be on the technical committee so they've already started to recommend our, our practices as best practices They invented UML, so it's not really a surprise, right? We've presented in in U.S. uh, NIST in in that level of security methodology. And I'll tell you my favorite quote, which is, um, and this is all very... um, you know, I'm a, I'm a back-end wonk kind of girl. I'm not a front man or a braggart.
0: Because um, you can't talk. You know, why would you <laughs> let you present anything to anybody? I
1: know. <laughs> but so it feels very like, you know, talking on my... I, I know it's got my name on it, but when you look at it, we have 30 different contributors from around the world because I wanted to validate, this is not about me. This is so much bigger. This is about... Mm. This is for my daughters. This is why I've written the book, is I think that there's a future that needs to be imagined that is just bigger and better. And, and I just, I, I can't believe, just like once we believed the world was flat and every important person said no, I can't believe that there is no privacy because I've never walked into a ballroom and everyone was dressed identically, notwithstanding that every store in every city I've gone to is the same.
0: Selling the same stuff, yeah. It's
1: crazy that we're all dressed differently. And in fact, I guess if you watch all these uh, futuristic things, we'll all be wearing shiny, like, zip-up tracksuits any moment now, but...
0: That, hasn't that was, yet. No, that was one <laughs> of the great losses of our of, um, then-future, now-present, is for the shiny, the shiny clothing. It's a great loss. Uh, Michelle <laughs> Dennedy, we are virtually out of time. So uh, You
1: said I, you wanted to go big and crazy. Oh, I, yeah. I hope we've done that. We
0: have done that, <laughs> very much so. And I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying where we're going. To wrap then... The question, this is another big question, what does this mean for the economy of an internet that is based on the trade in private information?
1: It means good things. It means good things. It means um, we would like to look back on this time and, and think that we're being the John Updike of data, right? You're putting rat tails and you're calling it sausage today. And it turns out that if you have high quality food, you have better health, you have better uh, environments, you have better cultures. I think if you have better health of data, then you're going to see closer real personal connections. You're going to see the benefits where you do find a young man who finds himself being different affiliated in a very positive way with people who will support him rather than just subject to the unwashed bullies of the internet. So I think that there's a trade-off. I don't think we've hit all the hard places yet where we have this balance of, of nation state security, individual security versus sharing socially. And, because sharing inherently makes you vulnerable. And the, the object of a security company like ours is to get rid of vulnerabilities. So it seems like it's kind of anathema to, to say we are a part of a sharing economy and yet at the same time we want protections. And so I think we need to work out quite a few of these things. But when, again, I I go back to the younger generations and I look at my daughters, they've never met some of these young people that they are friends with. Um, And and my my girls are quite small, so they aren't, you know, kind of online, unsupervised. But they have sister classrooms in Costa Rica, for example, and a sister classroom in in China. And they, they feel... the the same personal investment and closeness with these people than you and I in the same room together. I think that's an amazing thing, and I think they want more and more of that, and we're able to exchange on a human level, and you start to relate to people, and, and that's the benefit, I think, and we've seen this over history. I mean, this is not new thinking. I like to recycle old thinking, right? So if you think about Marco Polo and his journey down the real Silk Road, not the coffee shop in San Francisco trading people and drugs, um, when he walked down the Silk Road and it took him years and years and years to do it what they did is they had an exchange of the best things what is pasta, how to interpret it in China what is toothpaste thank God for the toothbrush You know, say what you will about the PRC they brought ice cream and the toothbrush I think that's a good thing
0: what a wonderful, positive note to on. Michelle Denny, <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me and please go back to your sandwich. Thank you so much. <laughs> You've been listening to McAfee's Chief Privacy Officer, Michelle Denny, interrupting her sandwich to be with you. And that's it for Episode 10 of Corrupted Nerds Conversations. Episode notes and links to all of the things we mentioned are at corruptednerds.com. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to Corrupted Nerds either at iTunes or at SoundCloud or by RSS in your choice of software. And whether you subscribe or not, please leave a comment, tell your friends, or even better, leave a tip at stillgariancom slash tip. And I am Stillgarian. I'll see you next time for another episode of Corrupted Nerds.